Neuroscientist Talk Shop. Around the room, we have uh, Matt Wana. Yo. Tom Manasco. Hello. Gerard Bodwin. Hello. And I'm hosting for today. I'm Carlos Palladini. So, uh, Tom, uh, we were very interested in all of your uh, recent work, especially um, the work where you are now showing all of us that uh, dopamine cells are no longer, at least a subpopulation of them, are no longer just dopamine cells. Mm -hmm. Some of them release glutamate, and some of them may actually also release GABA mm -hmm. as well, the glutamate cells, at least the glutamate cells within the VTA. Right. Uh, could you just expand a little bit about that on how you came about um, uh, making these discoveries and some of the other uh, publications that came before that that gave you hints about how this might happen in vivo. Yeah, happy to. <clears throat> so um, I got interested in the idea when I started thinking about the types of, um, really, I guess I started, started thinking about the types of things that mice that don't have dopamine can do. And I wondered, maybe there's a contribution for other neurotransmitters and signaling that's been associated with, with dopamine neurons. Um, and uh, in fact, when you look at the literature, going back to about 1998, there's some pretty compelling data uh, from in vitro culture systems that dopamine and glutamate can be co-packaged, or not co-packaged, but at least co-released from the same neuron. Uh, and, uh, and when I started getting really interested, when, we, when there was some work from Steve Rayport and Dave Salzer, uh, and then also Jeremy Siemens and Antonata Levin, showing that in, in, in both the prefrontal cortex and in the nucleus accumbens, uh, uh, in slices and in vivo that dopamine neurons might have the ability to communicate a fast excitatory signal. Uh, and I thought that the way to get at this is by using uh, kind of cool molecular genetic techniques in mice. Uh, and that's where I came in. Um, we used uh, a couple of approaches, made a conditional knockout to get rid of uh, the, the most, the, the, what we think is a, the molecule that, that's either necessary and sufficient for packaging glutamate into vesicles and hence making cells, neurons competent for releasing glutamate, and that is a vesicular glutamate transporter, or V-glute. And we made uh, mice that this gene could be selectively knocked out in dopamine neurons. Uh, and then with the advent of optogenetic tools, we uh, use optogenetic approaches to uh, target dopamine cells and stimulate just the dopamine cells and uh, see evidence of, of glutamate signals postsynaptically in parts of the striatum. So um, that's where uh, that's where we, we came in with that project. And um, more interestingly now, there's really great work from, uh, from uh, Bernardo Sabatini and others showing that dopamine neurons also have the capacity to co-release GABA. Um, and this is actually through a process that may not even depend on the class of mechanisms by which GABA gets into synaptic vesicles. Uh, some evidence suggesting that VMAT, which is what normally packages dopamine and other monoamines like serotonin into vesicles, uh, as can transport GABA or something that activates GABA-A receptors, probably GABA, uh, into, into dopamine synaptic vesicles, um, which really even opens the field wider. It means that dopamine neurons can be signaling through excitation, through inhibition, and through neuromodulation. Uh, it should keep us busy for a while. Yeah, so it seems uh, very confusing, right? So if you have a neuron that can release both glutamate and GABA, what does it do to the postsynaptic cell then? Does it excite it or does it inhibit it? Uh, is, is there any evidence that perhaps uh, under different conditions uh, the cell might preferentially release one transmitter versus another? 
Mm. And to follow up on that, maybe localization. Do you see you know any evidence to suggest that maybe you know GABA release would be happening at a different location than dopamine release yeah. or glutamate release? So I think that's that. The second question is is, is easier to get at right now, and it's. Uh, based on evidence from um, Steve Rayport and Bernardo again, showing that uh, at least in the striatum and uh, in the, in, in the nucleus cummins and, and the dorsal striatum, um, that the balance depends on the type of cell. Um, that different types of uh, postsynaptic cells, in particular cholinergic neurons, interneurons in the striatum, seem to be uh, very much ex- excited um, through through uh, uh, or have, have a large excitatory current, excitatory responses to presynaptic stimulation of dopamine neurons, um, especially when they're in the medial shell of the accumbens. But when these cells are in the striatum, or in dorsal striatum, or medium spinal neurons, another cell type in dorsal parts of the striatum, the dominant effect seems to be inhibition. Uh, so it may be a way for the same neurons that might send widely branching patterns of projections, such as dopamine neurons, to communicate one type of information to one type of cell in one brain region, and a different type of information to a different type of cell in a different brain region uh, simultaneously. So like the same neuron could just have different branches, axon branches, and releasing <coughs> different transmitters? <coughs> yeah, well, well, whether or not they're releasing different transmitters is a different question, right. um, as opposed to what we're actually measuring, which is the postsynaptic response. Uh, but that, right. that gets to the same idea, and that is different cell-cell signaling is occurring depending on uh, where it's being released. Um, and we do know that dopamine neurons do branch very, very widely, uh, make many, many synaptic connections um, across wide areas. I was also interested in one of your publications where you did a conditional knockout with VGLUT2 only on um, dopamine transporter positive neurons. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think what, what, I, what I found interesting about this, what you find is that um, even though there's a decrease in the amount of dopamine in the synaptic vesicles, meaning that there's probably decreased dopamine release, uh, you find very little behavioral effects, at least baseline behavioral effects. Mm-hmm. Yet, um, the dopamine deficient mouse, um, when you were in Palmer's lab, you have these profound behavioral effects. It's almost as if the dopamine is kind of like this on-off switch, mm-hmm. where you have zero dopamine, and then you have things like Parkinson's disease and complete lack of motivation, mm-hmm. uh, but just a little bit of dopamine, uh, perhaps even in the Parkinsonian patients who have uh, close to 30% at best surviving dopamine neurons and and getting worse and worse as time progresses, mm-hmm. the L-DOPA works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that even with only about 30% of your dopamine neurons remaining, you can have full behavioral repertoire as a, as a person who has 100% of their dopamine neurons present. As it, is, I wonder if that's anything to do with the fact that people at least historically thought about dopamine as this neuromodulator that ha- didn't have any specific, uh, easily measurable effect on the postsynaptic neurons. And it may not even be uh, sort of point-to-point synapse. It may be this idea of volume transmission that people used to mm-hmm. have, right? Um, which... Some uh, other labs are now saying that may that may not be the case, but um, if there is a volume transmission and you can have a minimal amount of dopamine to facilitate other synaptic mm-hmm. circuits, then that might be able to help um, explain results results like yours and the fact that you don't need that much dopamine neurons in your brain for L-dopa to have really 
profound effects and ameliorating symptoms. Yeah, those are all really great points. I mean, I think you know, thinking one of the one of those points is that the idea that uh, that the, they can lose a lot of dopamine signaling and still have retain a lot of function. Right, yeah. functionality of changes don't really set in. At least we see kind of global, gradual reductions in, in, in dopamine until you until you lose 80 percent of it. Um, you know, probably that's due to just a lot of adaptability in the system, right? That the that the, the receptors can become you know, show heightened sensitivity to uh, to the to the dopamine that's remaining. Um, maybe it also points to the idea that dopamine's having most of its effects, or some of its effects, some of its important effects. In sort of a neuromodulatory, I mean, in sort of a, as you were saying, it's almost, almost, I guess, a paracrine or sort of a local hormone kind of way, yeah, right, where yeah. it's basically being released and it's, it's somehow of um, permissive uh, yeah. a, a behavior. And if you have enough of it, then it permits a whole ensemble of different behaviors to be selected. And if you don't have enough of it, kind of things shut down. Um, you know, I think that um, that doesn't say there's not a lot of role for dynamic changes in dopamine um, in ongoing behaviors as well. But uh, probably it's having this kind of multiple levels. Multiple, the dopamine neurons are probably communicating information across multiple timescales, uh, across multiple yeah. domains, both slow rises and falls. And, and perhaps that's why they changes. co-release glutamate, right? Because if, if you're thinking about reward prediction error, the timing is very important. Uh, so especially mm-hmm. if we think about the reward prediction error on the circuit level, uh, uh, actually facilitating particular circuits to to learn a particular behavior that gets you a reward in the end, yeah. and not learning other circuits, other motor circuits, for example, so that you mess up the right sequence of movements so that you actually get a reward. And there was always a problem with dopamine in the fact that it takes a long time, takes hundreds of milliseconds mm-hmm. for it to have an effect, and it lasts around for hundreds of milliseconds. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about a fast circuit like cortical uh, striatal circuit, mm-hmm. where things can be happening on single millisecond level, yeah. uh, you could imagine how lingering dopamine around a circuit would mess up, you uh, make you learn certain uh, motor behaviors that are not uh, very good for actually executing, getting a reward yeah, in the end, executing yeah. so that you can get a reward in the end. Uh, and I wonder if like the glutamate now yeah. is really what's so that was my reward. No, that's, that, that was what I that's that's what I went into it kind of hope, hoping and thinking yeah. uh, that might be going on. Uh, the data haven't really borne that uh, the mice can learn and discriminate pretty well. Uh, we've tested them on a variety of operant tasks and get rid of the glutamate by knocking out VGLU2 and dopamine neurons, and, and there are deficits, um, but there's they're subtle. Um, yeah. So. Um, so we're still, a lot, we're we're, still, we're still, we're still stuck with that problem. I think it's a great point. I mean, why, is dopamine really the molecule you would design if you wanted to have high temporal resolution, yeah. uh, basically engaging corticostriatal or other inputs, uh, whether they're going to work? Maybe, I, maybe, but um, it's, it's a ever, an open question. I, and I, now I think I and others are wondering to what extent maybe the GABA is really the one. If uh, yeah. we, you know, we, you know. Multiple labs have reported it, uh, but knocking GABA out from dopamine neurons because it's not relying on the VGAT, it's relying on the VMAT. If you knock out VMAT, you're going to knock out dopamine and GABA. Yeah. So you need to kind of come up with a, uh, another clever way. Way to, to replace the to, dopamine. To replace in, the, in the, the dopamine or somehow just selectively get rid of the GABA. Yeah. Um, but maybe it also seems to be more ubiquitous. And the glutamate it seems to be localized to just a sort of medial shell region uh, or mostly concentrated yeah. in the medial shell, whereas the GABA is kind of everywhere, dorsal, ventral. And I, I wonder also if it's another amount of amine neurons. If, since VMAT's present, presumably they're also packaging GABA or GABA analog. Um, 
that is um, serotonin neurons or norepinephrine neurons, and then really hasn't been looked at yet, as far as I know. Yeah, and then what's what's fascinating is that um, the dopamine transporter knockout mouse um, has it full uh, will self administer cocaine, for example. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, now dopamine seems to not be doing much in that case. And maybe your your point about it being some other monomine like norepinephrine mm-hmm. perhaps, or something like that has a, a much larger role to yeah. play in or that they have complementary roles and either multiple types of neurons that can suffice uh, for facilitating at least certain yeah. conditions uh, reward reinforcement self-administration um, I'm on board with that you did have some uh, behavioral effects when you locked out the VGLU2 right the, yeah so we did and you know we very consistently and others have seen it too is to reduce psychostimulant responses uh, locomotor responses you give an animal cocaine and amphetamine and they'll self-administer it but the other thing is they tend to increase their locomotor response a lot and this is due to increases in dopamine that occur when you block or reverse the dopamine the plasma memory dopamine transporter um, so we did see that in the conditional knockout gear of the glutamate co-release that you could um you could blunt this cocaine-induced locomotion, uh, which was a bit confusing at first, mm-hmm. and uh, which we ultimately attributed to a kind of a, a unique mechanism uh, where, where the glutamate and dopamine might be able to get to the same synaptic vesicles, and that the glutamate can help fill vesicles with dopamine. So you take away the glutamate, not only do you lose this postsynaptic glutamate signal, but you also lose uh, or, or reduce the amount of dopamine that can be packaged, at least into the subset of vesicles that, uh, that may uh, contain both the VMAT and the VGLUT. Um, so that was, that was kind of not exactly what we expected yeah. to find, but um, I think it, we did uncover some uh, some potentially new and exciting biology there. Um, but it's still not clear then. But so is it, uh, what makes you think it's only due to the, the lack of dopamine filling versus actually losing the glute? That's glute? a great point. You know, we, okay. we don't have a great, I don't have a great answer for that. Oh, okay. It's just, um, you know, we, we know that, for instance, the, the dopamine deficient mice that we brought up earlier don't have a cocaine locomotor response. Okay. Um, uh, so, um, it's easy to, to conclude that the, any effects on, mm-hmm. on changes in locomotion could be due to death reductions in the amount of dopamine that's being released. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there could be effects of the glutamate on, on promoting or changing the activity of the, the neurons, which, um, which dopamine is acting on yeah. in, in the striatum to alter behavior. And then you, I think you also said in your talk that... VGLUT2 actually developmentally is actually probably expressed by all the dopamine cells, yeah, right? A, a large percentage of them. Um, so, so, you know, is it possible that maybe there was developmental changes that occurred? Yeah, so that's a great right. point. Uh, the, you know, there is, uh, so there is uh, other possibilities such as what you just proposed, and that is basically that dopamine neurons don't um, don't form, make proper synapses or as many right. synapses. The glutamate is actually helping set the synapse right. up initially. Um we pers- we didn't find out evidence to support that. We found that um, that the amount of TH that was present in, in mm. the terminal fields was not changed, sure. um, which suggests that at least at the gross level that uh, that TH is uh, that dopamine terminals are f- forming and TH is 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 a marker for dopamine terminals. Um, but there is other data uh, from other labs showing that there could be a developmental effect, uh, um, uh, uh, notably from the work of Louis Trudeau. Showing that by stereology, there appear to be fewer dopamine neurons in both the substantia nigra and the VTA um, in VGLU2 conditional knockout mice, um, which uh, 
you know, which we, we could also account for. Yeah. And it's also, it speaks to the fact that even in the substantial Niagara, where in the adult, very little Vigla 2 is found. Right. Uh, but maybe in development, it does have an important role even there uh, in, in differentiating neurons mm-hmm. into dopamine or helping them make dopamine synapses. So one of the interesting um, pieces of data that you presented in your talk was the fact that the um, VTA glutamate non-dopamine producing neurons um, seem to project to, you know, ventropallidum and there wasn't much, you know, dopamine going there and seemed to be, you know, solely, um, you know, glutamate and similarly also to the lateral habenula. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned that the, you know, the inputs to the VTA seem to be pretty, you know, homogeneous or, you know, spread throughout uh, all the different types of neurons. And so, what do you think is sort of determining that those neurons are going to presumably be glutamate neurons and never become dopamine neurotri- dopaminergic? And do you think there may be some sort of you know retrograde signal from these sort of specific postsynaptic targets that's sort of either repressing it from becoming a dopamine neuron or helping maintain it to be a glutamate neuron or yeah, you know, any any sort of speculation yeah, along those lines? That's, that's, or it might be it might be cool just to. Do stereology as an animals develop as they age, and do are they do they have more glutamate neurons to begin with, and they slowly become dopamine yeah. neurons as they become? Yeah, which kind of goes against the whole Parkinson's disease age, also. Thing, yeah, although all that's happening very much embryonically, like uh, yeah, yeah. So but, yeah, so, so we just do it in yeah. utero. But um, yeah. So you raised a couple of good questions there. So you know, our we're trying to trace the afferents to, different, to the different VTA cell types and. Um, and early results point to uh, not a lot of qualitative differences in the types of inputs the different VTA cell types receive. Um, but um, there, you know, I, th- I love the idea that basically, uh, I don't know if it's true, but I love the idea that, that, um, that the neurons in the VTA might have the potential to change the type of transmitter they're releasing. Um, there's some beautiful work from Nick Spitzer, uh, who is also at UCSD, showing that in the hypothalamus, um, that uh, uh, dopamine and GABA neurons that are in the hypo- in, uh, parts of the hypothalamus um, can actually change at least the ratios, the, the relative numbers of these cells, very rapidly in response to changing environmental conditions, response to daylight, uh, hours of daylight, um, suggesting that the type of neurotransmitter that's being released is something that's under dynamic regulation. Um, and you know, how, how rapid? When you say rapidly, like uh, like day, a day, in a day, yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah, something like that's going on in the VTA. That seems important. Uh, right. <laughs> it, it, it basically suggests a form of kind of presynaptic plasticity that that hasn't received a whole lot of attention. That and you can communicate different types of information depending on maybe drugs. Maybe drugs have uh, long-lasting effects in the types on the ability to maintain a dopaminergic identity, or um, uh, uh, or glutamatergic or GABAergic identity in the VTA. So um, yeah, we don't really have any data to speak of that. There's some evidence that. That the afferent inputs, um, particularly from the nucleus accumbens, um, the GABAergic projections to the VTA from the accumbens, um, might play a role in maintaining a dopaminergic identity, can lesion them, and um, maybe reduce the number of, of dopamine neurons present, um, which might suggest some sort of contact or input specific dependent maintenance of a, of a dopamine identity. Um, but it's very, very much speculative still, and not, not a lot of concrete data on that. But it's something I'd love to explore more. I really think it. Worth studying. Is it possible that um, these gab- these glutamatergic cells in this sort of medial VTA area that they at some point express tyrosine hydroxylase? The yeah, I think that's right. And there's actually another set of literature um, um, work from Marisol Morales and, and Garrett Stuber, um, and uh, basically the, there's 
there's TH is maybe a bit more comp- complicated of a transcript than I yeah. fully understand, uh-huh. to be honest. But uh, there seem to be multiple transcriptional forms, and mm-hmm. they may have different um, stability or maybe even different functions. Mm-hmm. So the TH can be expressed in right. some of these cell types without actually getting TH message can get expressed, but not actual protein. Oh, I see. Um, or that the protein, or it's getting expressed, maybe trafficked to this very specific spot, dendrites or something, mm-hmm. um, where it's not. Um, but be, being translated as opposed to um, terminals. So, um, so yeah, there there is evidence, um, not really direct direct evidence, but indirect yeah. evidence that uh, th transcripts may be present in some of these what I'm calling kind of glutamate only neurons sure. that, that we see as th negative in the adult. Right. So you mentioned using th on transcripts. So why did you use the sort of dat cre approach as opposed to the th cre? Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of benefits and drawbacks are there other than, you know, you don't have to do any sort of fancy tricks to sort of try and get at, you know, if you've got looking at norepinephrine yeah, neurons and right. stuff. But um, um, you presented some data suggesting that um, I think the glutamate neurons, or at least in your diagram, um, you know, from the VTA project to the uh, prefrontal cortex. But to my knowledge, I think the, the debt levels are typically low of those mm-hmm. neurons that are coming from the VTA. And yeah. if you could just sort of comment on the... Yeah. The, 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 the DAT versus TH as far as yeah. a promoter and identifier of a dopamine neuron, the pluses and minuses. Yeah, that's, um, that's an important issue, actually. Um, so, um, working backwards, the, 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 I mean, so the Cree is, is binary, right? So even low levels of expression should turn on or off a virus gene, a viral vector that's got a conditional cassette or, 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 or a flox allele. Um, so as long as some crease expressed in the cortical, mesocortical projections, that should be good enough. Mm-hmm. But it could be that we're under underrepresenting the, that projection because relative from DAT cree relative to TH cree because uh, there are a subset of dopamine neurons that um, don't express DAT that go to the, the BFC mm-hmm. at all, and that we miss those. Um, so that's true. Um, so I guess the. One maybe the, one thing at the root of that question is what does it really mean to be a dopamine neuron? What do you really have to have? And um, I'd argue that you definitely have to have VMAT. If you don't have VMAT, you can't get dopamine into vesicles, and you can't release it. So that's essential. That's non non negotiable. But of course, VMAT is not a great marker because it's in serotonin neurons, or norepinephrine neurons, epinephrine neurons, histamine neurons. So we'd rather stay away from that as a as a Cree line marker. Um, and then you need to have one combination of either the ability to recycle dopamine that's been released from other cells or the ability to synthesize it yourself. So um, there are cases where we know that certain types of monoamine neurons can release a neurotransmitter without ever having synthesized it, where they're just sucking it back up and then and then uh, recycling it from their neighbors. Um, so um, so what does it mean to be a dopamine neuron? Not one thing is, is sufficient, um, and you need a few of these things. And they're not always expressed in all the same ways in all the same cells. Um, so... But to get the, at the, 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 the most directly at your question, uh, the reason we use that is because uh, uh, TH, um, particularly early in development, is not very specific. Uh, late in development, TH is, as, as you know, relatively specific to, to dopamine neurons as well as norepinephrine neurons and a few others. Um, but early in development, TH gets expressed, especially the transcript. We don't even know if the protein gets expressed, but it gets expressed in lots of places. Um, in fact, um, we made a TH Cree knock-in when I was a grad student, and um, 
we crossed it to reporters, we could see where TH Cree had ever been expressed, and you, it's, it's quite widespread. Um, uh, and that's using a knock-in approach. Um, and I think you'd find the same things with the TH Cree lines that are out there, though I haven't looked at them personally. Um, that doesn't matter if you're coming in late and developing and putting a virus in, but it does matter if you're trying to cross it to a VGLU2 conditional allele and you want to restrict that conditional knock yeah, to the conditional uh, transgenics are messed up then. If, if, you, if there are any kind of crossings, then... Well, it depends, really. Network. It depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, the thing about VGLUT is if you knock out a VGLUT, it's pretty, yeah, that's pretty, you have some severe effects, right? Yeah. I mean, a global VGLUT2 knockout is dead. It's born, um, born without breathing. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, you, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to be pretty restricted to just the cell type of interest. Um, and it, you know, so I think, I think in general, uh, uh, that's one reason. Another reason is because if we cross a DAT creator reporter, we find that we can label 95 to 99% of all the TH positive cells in the adult, um, which tells us that there's only 1 to 5% of neurons that are potentially TH positive dopamine neurons that are DAT negative. Um, but it's a really good point. I mean, I think we, as a, you know, more and more people are using Cree lines. Um, and may not have as much background in mouse genetics, and really understanding exactly when it's you know when it's important to think about uh, the restrictiveness of the of the Cree and how leaky they might be. None of them are perfect, right? Mm-hmm. There's no one hundred percent perfection. Mm-hmm. So um, building those imperfections into into our thinking is probably worth. So I'm really interested in, in what uh, your definition of a dopamine neuron is. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's um, uh, the Tepper Lab had had found TH positive neurons within the striatum. Right, the L-dopa. Yeah. And, and inner neurons. Yeah, so yeah. they call it the L-dopa inner neurons. Yeah. Um, but no evidence to actually make dopamine. Right, yeah. So, so, so uh, yeah, so you, you're, you're saying that they have to actually synthesize dopamine. So they have to have the... Well, I didn't say they have to synthesize it. Okay. I said they have to release it. I hope that's what I said. Uh, okay, okay. Um, I thought you said synthesize. So you said they had to have VMAT, so they have to be have able to, to package VMAT. it into this in the synapse, I mean, into vesicles. And they have to be able to release it, obviously. Um, but so, so ba- you're saying that a, a, a neuron that could scavenge dopamine into its terminals and then put it into vesicles, you would call that a dopamine neuron, even though it doesn't synthesize. Yeah, I, I would. So you could have a TH negative dopamine neuron. I would say that. Okay. Uh, and the reason is because I mean, I mean, isn't a dopamine neuron one that releases dopamine? I'm that's, that's, I don't know. That's the question, that's, right? That would be my <laughs> definition of a dopamine neuron. Yeah. Any, any other definition kind of loses a bit of meaning for me. Uh, right. But that maybe reflects my own biases and, and, and things. Uh, uh, but um, that, um, yeah, I'd be interested in alternate definitions. I mean, uh, if it was, is it based just on the ability to express TH? Um, that doesn't make sense, of course, because of other catecholamine groups. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted a one-sentence definition, I'll stick with that. Stick with that. <laughs> if you can release dopamine, you're a dopamine neuron. Yeah. Well, so Although there's evidence that norepinephrine neurons can release dopamine yeah, too, right? Yeah. So, so, yeah. We release dopamine, and so and then the question becomes, well, how, how can it be released, right? So you could have just, for example, some abnormal reversal of the dopamine transporter mm-hmm. and never actually being released by um, synaptic release, for example, by, by being packaged into the vesicles first. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. I guess I guess in that case you would also call that a dopamine cell. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't have. It's, a, it's I, don't have any, I don't have any better. That's more of a theoretical. Of but uh, <laughs> I think that's. Um, uh, I think that's. Uh, 
I struggle with it myself. I just don't know how to define a dopamine. Yeah. So if you give amphetamine, then potentially you can turn other neurons into, into dopamine, dopamine neurons. neurons. Yeah, yeah, then suddenly they become dopamine neurons. That's so there's your rapid shift yeah. in uh, how <laughs> dopamine neurons yeah, change yeah. its uh, neurotransmitter count. There you go. <laughs> just give amphetamine. And for that matter, you know, with, uh, now that dopamine neurons and other neurons re- co-release, uh, you could yeah, just as validly call them glutamate neurons and completely ignore the dopamine part of them. Yeah, they co-release dopamine. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're just glutamate um, neurons that co-release dopamine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it definitely so, models things up a bit, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, uh, going back to the, um, the the non-dopamine VTA neurons that sort of project to the ventral pallidum and um, um, the lateral venula, but uh, do you see any dopamine receptor or like is it known sort of what postsynaptically are there any dopamine receptors there and again sort of developmentally time course not to sort of get back to that yeah. but you know do, is the machinery there question, that sort of yeah. then gets pared down at some point and yeah yeah i think it's a great question and i um i'm not familiar with all the research on this but i do know there is there's some pretty good pharmacological data behavioral pharmacology um showing that you know, micro-injections of dopamine agonists can have effects in the, in the ventral pallidum. Um, I'm not sure if that's true in the lateral habenula or not, um, but that would suggest that, that the machinery is there, the postsynaptic machinery, and maybe that goes to the idea that there's developmental changes or that there's dynamic regulation and that those dopamine, there, dopamine receptors are there waiting, waiting for these, uh, these what I'm calling glutamate neurons to, to start releasing dopamine again. Um, so that's... Um, or maybe it's just there, but it's acting very, very much like a, maybe there's just no transporter, right? So just a tiny bit of dopamine gets released, that's, um, and that's sufficient to act widely because it persists in the, in the synaptic spaces for, for long periods of time. Um, so even though you don't have much evidence for presynaptic release, it's enough. I guess also sort of following up on what we were talking about was the, uh, is there norepinephrine input? You know, potentially coming into these areas that the you know the VTA okay. non-dopamine neurons are going there. So maybe you know it, it, maybe you do have catecholamines being released. Yeah. There. Is, is there any sort of evidence any that would speak to that? Yeah, of other molecules acting on mm. dopamine receptors. Yeah, I I'm unaware of that. That's a good question though. I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, there's even a lot of norepinephrine receptors in the striatum. Um, but I, I've never been very clear on where the norepinephrine is coming from. You don't see a whole lot of input from classic norepinephrine regions to the stratum. So yeah. it's another kind of case where you have a receptor and you have a ligand, but they they don't seem to be seem to be missing each other. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. but they're probably not. We're probably we're just missing something. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> <just> <laughs> um, so. All right, this has been Neuroscientist Talk Show.